Thank you. Please be seated. We've been in this journey through verse by verse of the Gospel of Matthew now for really quite some months. It began really last year, and as we happen to come across the text today, it's important for us to understand how Jesus is slowly building up his disciples and getting them ready to send them out. We began really this mini-series at the conclusion of Matthew chapter 9, where he's challenging his disciples to rise up and answer the call to go forth into the harvest field that he is in the process of preparing for them. And he challenges them as they begin to be called out and to rise up and to go to pray the Lord of the harvest, that God is preparing a harvest for them to go out and to proclaim the kingdom of God. And in the proclamation of that kingdom, there will some who will be receptive and the harvest is ready for God has been working in the hearts of those that, that will hear the gospel and they will respond not only to the messenger, but the message and to the Messiah. He then challenges them in the next verse, beginning in the first couple of verses of chapter 10, to answer the call to go. This is where he commissions them, actually, to be the answer to the prayer that he's asked them to pray in the previous passages. He asked them to pray, Lord of the harvest, send out laborers. Now he's saying, I am going to send you out as laborers into the harvest. You're an answer to your own prayer. You're going to answer your own prayer. You've been praying, Lord, send laborers out of the harvest. Now you're going to answer the call and answer the prayer that you have been praying. And in answering that call, he commissions them to go in 5 through 15 of the second passage that we dealt with last week, where he admonishes them that as they go, they are to clearly understand that there are some fields that have been prepared and some that have not been prepared. In other words, there are some who are going to be receptive and some that are not going to be receptive. And as a result of that, he says, when you go into a town and they receive you as a messenger, they receive your message and they receive me as the Messiah, then you are to bless them. If they don't, then you are simply to walk away and go into the field that I have prepared for that harvest. Now he's indicating to his disciples, as we see today in the chronological order of the preparation in sending his disciples out, he's saying, guys, I want you to be prepared that as you go out and labor in my field, in the harvest of souls, be prepared for opposition. Opposition is going to come not only against you as the messenger, but you in your message and me as the Messiah. You cannot expect them to do you or treat you any differently than they did me. Or Jesus is saying that the slave is not above his master, nor the pupil above his teacher. So therefore, because they treated him this way, expect you as well to be treated as he was treated. You cannot anticipate nor expect that they're going to treat you any differently than they treated me. So prepare for opposition. I believe today... We are in an era of the church in which we are closely coming to the end of times. And as we get closer and closer to the end times, to the end days, just before the return of Christ, things are going to get harder, not easier. We have already seen most of us, unless we've been isolated in some remote part of the world and we don't turn our televisions at all, we're all well aware of the persecution that is happening right now across the world against those who are Christians. Just earlier this year, we saw 21 men lined up on a beach and ISIS beheaded them because of the Coptic Christians refusing to recant their faith in Jesus. And we're seeing more and more across the globe, boys and girls and moms and dads and men and women who are refusing to 
to, to throw in the towel and to deny Christ and are willing to, many of them, even being martyred as Christ was, to be crucified on a cross today. Crucifixion of Christians today in other parts of the world because of their faith. If you know anything about uh, the martyrs for Christ, I have a, uh, a map in my office where I can see it. It reminds me of the countless places in the world today in which there is incredible persecution for those who claim to be Christians. Persecution is on the rise. Many believe that tens of thousands are being martyred every year because of their faith in Jesus and other parts of the world. And there are many that are claiming that this sacrifice, this cost of discipleship is soon coming to the United States of America. It's coming. We've been insulated and isolated as a church and as a nation for quite some time, but I'm convinced slowly but surely our freedoms are being eroded. The, the, the judicial system is, is, is about to strap us with some things that we're not going to like, and as a result of what I believe the Supreme Court eventually will do, no matter how much praying we do, it's a secular government. They are going to redefine marriage and the family in such a way that any church, any institution, that dares to differ with that definition is eventually possibly lose their 501c3 and I'm convinced that there's more persecution coming following that. And we're not going to be able to have marginal, nominal Christians that come once a month or claim to be Christians or like the thousands that are on the rolls of our churches who absolutely don't attend, they don't support, they don't serve, they're not out in the labor force, in the mission field, they're not proclaiming the gospel, you're going you're gonna to be forced to either take a step forward and claim to believe in Jesus and not back down from that claim or you're going to die. You're going to be persecuted. I already know people right now that have lost jobs, they've lost promotions, and they've lost family members because of the position that they've taken not to deny their faith and their belief in Jesus. Persecution's coming to the church, and the church needs to get ready for it. The persecution that he's preparing his disciples for in this text is a persecution that is going to come upon them shortly. It's not a persecution in which he's going to send them out two by two that we've described. And as he sends them out, they're going to uh, sort of absorb this persecution little by little. It's a persecution that's going to come after he ascends to heaven and he commissions them after Pentecost to go. And it's after Pentecost arrives and the Holy Spirit empowers the people and they begin to go out in Jerusalem, that persecution that he's describing here, a futuristic persecution, is going to come upon his disciples and all who are disciples of the faith. And he's warning them that persecution is coming. He's preparing them, not only as they go out into the harvest, not just for them, there's going to be some rejection, but there's going to be some persecution that is quickly coming. So I want to take a look at how Jesus prepared his disciples then and how he prepares us today for the coming persecution. And I think there's some lessons that we can learn that will enable us, equip us, and empower us in order to withstand the persecution or the opposition that is coming. How do we prepare for opposition? Number one, we need to then exhibit the right attitude. It's important that we exhibit the right attitude. There is a proper attitude, a correct attitude, and an improper attitude. And he says to them, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves so that 
You need to be wise as serpents, but you also need to be as innocent as doves. There are four aspects about this attitude that I want us to quickly take note of. First of all, he says in this text, be willing. Be willing to go whenever, wherever, to whomever he sends. Behold, take notice, pay attention to what I'm about to say to you. And, and, and I want you to understand that I'm about to send you into a very difficult field and there's going to be hostility and resentment and bitterness and anger and, 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 and persecution. And, and yes, you're going to be sent there, but you must be willing and ready to go when I send. Behold, I, Jesus Christ, your teacher, your savior, your Messiah, your Lord, it is I who am sending you. I am sending you from this time to go out into the harvest field that I am preparing. And we as disciples must cultivate this attitude of being willing to go even into difficult places where we might be persecuted or we might have sufferings or hardship for the gospel of Christ. You know, God doesn't send everybody to Hawaii. I have a friend of mine who, who uh, was on Facebook, and he's a pastor, and, and he asked us to pray for him. And he, God has transitioned his pastorate to another pastorate to Hawaii. And I said, come on, dude. Hawaii? It's like umbrella to umbrella visitation. Golf courses galore. How difficult could that be? And yet sometimes God sends people to difficult places, and we do have right now missionaries representing us as Great Commission Baptists who are in very difficult places where they're attempting to proclaim the kingdom of Christ and the gospel message of Jesus, and they're willing to go. And we must be willing to go. We must be watchful. We must be a sheep in the midst of wolves. Be on alert. Be attentive. Be vigilant. Don't be asleep. Be on the alert. Be as sheep in the midst of wolves. The word sheep is an interesting word, and he's not defining them as sheep who are weak, but he's saying sheep who have been transformed by the grace of the gospel. They have been transformed by the grace of the gospel. They were once Wolves, they were once not sheep, but now they have been transformed. But in that transformation, they have not been transferred from the mission field where they are. In other words, they're not in the midst of wolves. They're not, he's not sending them out to be among wolves. He's saying, you're already among wolves. You're already there. I mean, the field that we're in right now, we are already surrounded by wolves, and we must understand that we must be vigilant. We must be watchful because wolves do what to sheep? They want them for supper. The objective is to chase them down and to destroy them, to devour them, and to use them for their own causes. And he's saying they must be watchful. But not only watchful, he's saying, I want you to be wise. How wise? To be as wise as a serpent's. How wise was the serpent Satan in the Garden of Eden when he tempted Eve and Adam to take the forbidden fruit that God had offered? Very, very cunning, very intentional, very deliberate, not walking around haphazardly, just kind of meandering their way through, but he's saying, I want you to be as wise as serpents, not deceptive, but intuitive, but perceptive, 
and intellectual in your pursuit of carrying out the gospel. But he says, also, I want you to be as innocent as doves. I want you to be well-mannered. I want you to watch your manners. Mind your manners. And I think that's something that many of us in the church need to hear today because many of us have absolutely no manners whatsoever when we're confronting the world. And he's saying, don't stoop to their level. Rise up, be righteous, be pure, be holy, be worthy of your calling, and be well-mannered. Be gracious and be kind. And not saying compromise, but do it with a sense of, of determination in which you understand and you recognize and realize who you stand for and who you represent. And there have been many here in this church that have gotten upset with me over the years because I'm not politically driven as we were in the past. And we've sought many, many times in many, many different ways sort of, sort of get away from the political agenda that many have and promote simply the gospel and Jesus alone. It doesn't mean we've compromised our positions. It doesn't mean that we've compromised our beliefs. But it does mean we do it in grace, with compassion and with kindness, yet with firmness, because there is no point of compromise. And we must take our stand, because if we don't, we'll be devoured. Will be consumed. Um, it's a book we used to read to our children. It was a little book entitled uh, "The Gingerbread Man." Anybody ever read that book to your children? "The Gingerbread Man." Come on, "The Gingerbread Man." Great book. It's about a, an elderly farming lady who was making a gingerbread man, and the ding went off, and she opened the the oven, and out he popped. And she tried to catch him because she wanted to eat him. He said, "Run, run as fast as you can. You can't catch me because I'm the gingerbread man." You know the story. He runs out, and the farmer tries to catch him, and he laughs because he evades that. Run, run as fast as you can. You can't catch me. I'm the gingerbread man. He eludes several people, and finally he gets to a river, and he recognizes and realizes he can't cross that without help, and a sly wolf or fox comes and says, why don't you hop on my back? I'll carry you across the river. He's smarter than that, the gingerbread man is, and he said, no, no, no. If I do that, you're going to eat me. He said, no, I won't. Yeah, you will. No, I won't. They have a little discussion. And he said, hop on my tail, and that's a safe place. And the ginger man thinks to himself, as he kind of concludes, as regards of what's going on, he said, okay, so he jumps on the tail and off they go. And he gets into deeper waters and he's forced to climb on the back. As they get into deeper waters, he's supposed to get to the, to the, to the shoulders and they get deeper. He climbs on his head and what happens in the end? Outsmarted by the fox. The attitude that we need to have is we need to be really, really careful who we're dealing with. And we need to guard our attitude in the fact that we must never get lazy. We must never be unvigilant. We must constantly be alert and attentive. For behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as servant, serpents and as innocent as doves. Secondly, he says not only exhibit the right attitude, but expect to be attacked. Expect to be attacked. I mean, there's, there's a point in which you're not going to be able to remain neutral at some point in your life. Where you work, there are going to be jokes that are going to be told. There are remarks that are going to be made. There, are, there may be rules and regulations that are going to be enforced. And you're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to be attacked. You cannot remain neutral always. You're going to be forced into a corner where you're going to have to take a stand and make a position. And Jesus says to his disciples, expect to be attacked. How would you like to be sent by Christ out into a harvest field, a mission field, to proclaim the kingdom of God and say, expect to be attacked? Notice what he says. 
Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts. Notice he said, expect people to turn against you. Beware of who? Beware of men. Turn to the ladies. Ladies, turn to the men and say, hey, he's not talking about us. Beware of the men. We've known that for a long time, right? Ladies, beware of the men. But what he's talking about here is not men. He's talking about people in general. Beware of people in general, for they will deliver you over to the courts. Be weary of people, and Satan, the enemy, the adversary, is on the enlistment in which he is finding willing people to conspire with him to attack those who are of the faith. And we must understand and we must expect that these attacks are coming from people, but we must understand and recognize that it's not the people, but it's Satan who is using these people for the evil purposes and the evil intents that he desires and he wants to take place. Notice not only should they expect people to turn against you, but we must expect pain and suffering. He says in the second part of verse 17, and they will flog you in their synagogues. They will flog you in their synagogues. The attack that's coming is going to be painful. They're going to be flogged. I don't know if you need to think about flogging, but there were 39 lashes that you would receive when you were flogged. And what they would use was an instrument that is called uh, uh, a whip. Let's just call it that. And uh, this whip had three strands on it, uh, two, I'm sorry, two, uh, bra- uh, two brackets on it, and each one of them had six to seven, sometimes eight different types of, of leather. And many times at the end of that leather were little, little things that were tied in order to rip out the skin, and you were lashed 39 times, 13 on the right, 13 on the left, and 13 times on the chest or on the back. They would tie you to a pole, they would strip, down, strip you down naked until right about here, and you would literally bend over, and they would lash you 39 times. While that was being done in a public place, There was a priest who was reading the scriptures while they were lashing you. He was reading from Deuteronomy and from the Psalms, and while he was reading, there was another priest that was counting the lashes, making sure that they got all 39 of them. And there was another priest that just before each lash was applied, he would then give the order to apply it. And so you had these religious zealots who were flogging these Christ followers because they would not deny their Jesus. And what he's saying to them is, guys, when you go out and when you are being attacked, you must understand that they are going to cause and inflict great pain upon you. And some of it will be physical. Some of it will be emotional. Some of it will be mental. It will be painful for you. And for us to think that we are Christ followers out in the world in which he has called us, meandering and and mingling with the society of our world today, thinking that somehow we're going to, as Americans, just going to sit back and we're not going to experience any pain, any hardship, any difficulty. I think it's time that we wake up to recognize and realize that it's coming. And he's saying expect pain and suffering. He says, thirdly, expect persecution or prosecution. Notice verse 18, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. Dragged is against your will. Dragged means you are literally drugged and you are thrown before the courts. And there was a judicial system that was a two-tier judicial system in that day. It was spiritual and secular. Spiritual meaning the religious in Jerusalem. 
but secular meaning Rome. And they were to be dragged before the judicial system, and they would be tried for their Christianity, for their belief and their faith in Jesus. He's saying, you're going to be prosecuted. It's coming. I think one of these days, the church in the United States of America, if it doesn't bend to the laws that are coming, will eventually suffer prosecution. And I've had somebody ask me, well, what if, uh, what if they, they change the definition in this marriage act and define marriage differently than what our church believes in, and they try to take away our 501c3? Will people then continue to give? That's up to us, isn't it? We need to be really attentive and really on the alert because the attack's coming. And I'm convinced that we as Christians, as individuals, and we as a church, and eventually we as a denomination, are going to be taken to the courts because we refuse to succumb to the pressure of the culture. Expect not only prosecution, but expect God's purposes through this, this, this persecution to, to flourish. I mean, God has a purpose for persecution. It's interesting how the church always flourishes under persecution than in prosperity. Notice that he says in verse 18, Not only will you be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, but you will bear witness before them and the Gentiles. You will bear witness. While you're in the courts, you will bear witness. The apostle Paul wanted to go to Rome. Why? To bear witness. To bear witness. To give a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power that that gospel had in his own life. Who was a persecutor of Christians that accepted Christ on that road to Damascus and God transcended his sin and transformed his life. And he wanted to go to Rome to not only give verbal witness to the gospel of Jesus, but the validity and the truth that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, the Son of God, who died on a cross for sins that it would place their faith and trust in him as their personal Savior and Lord. So when we're persecuted, the idea is not to be silent, but to allow that persecution, to have a, allow that prosecution, to allow those hardships and those painful moments to glorify God and to point people to Jesus. There are times I think we want to know, why, God, are you allowing this to happen to my life? And we have this woe is me attitude rather than looking at the objective and the purpose for which God has in this difficulty and recognize it as an opportunity to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. For under that persecution is a wonderful opportunity to declare the truth, our testimony about Jesus. Not only should we expect God's purpose to be fulfilled, in verse 19, we should expect provisions then under the persecution from God. Notice in verse 19, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. There's a certainty here about the persecution that's coming. Notice when they deliver you over. Not if, but when they deliver you over. It's, it's a certainty. It is a reality. It's going to happen. When they do that, notice the caution. Don't worry. Don't flip out. Don't freak out. Don't be overly concerned about what to say and, and to, to, to prepare for a defense. Don't rely upon yourselves, he's saying. Because the charge here is, don't rely upon yourself, but rely upon me, and I will take care of your needs. I think there's a tendency that when we're being attacked, is to rise up and try to defend ourselves in and of ourselves, in our own strength, our own intelligence, our own efforts. But he's saying, don't freak out. Don't be anxious. 
I will come to your attentive need. I will provide for you. I will minister to you. And I will notice it. I will tell you what to say and at that very hour. So there's no need to be anxious. There's no need to be worried. Now, he's not saying don't be prepared. I mean, there have some that say, well, I don't need to be prepared at all. I'm just going to go in kind of half-cocked and just let things happen, and, and God's going to show me. That's not what he's saying. He said, don't go in unprepared, but he's saying don't go in anxious, relying and depending only upon your self-effort to make it a reality, because I will provide a way. Sixthly, he said, expect the presence of the Holy Spirit in this text. In verse 20, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. He's reminding his disciples that the Spirit of your Father will be with you. And it's great to know, as they're going into this, this difficult den of, of wolves and people who are going to devour them, destroy them, and persecute them, and hurt them, and cause them pain, that they're not going into this field by themselves. They're going into it with the Father's presence through the Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that will enable them, empower them, encourage them, and help them then do the work of the evangelist and to fulfill their calling. Number seven, they can expect family problems too. Descalate. As you take a stand for Christ and follow Jesus, he's saying, you can expect family problems to escalate. Notice verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Father, brother against brother, father against his children, and children will rise up against their parents. Why would they do that? Because the brother's an unbeliever, and he's rising up against his unbelieving brother. The parent who is an unbeliever is turning in their children who are believers. And you notice the escalation. The children are rising up against their parents. It's a little bit more proactive on the part of the children because the children are being aggressive against the parents and they're throwing them under the bus. They're not the primary executioners of the sentence, but they are basically giving them all the evidence and helping then the judicial system then bring about its conclusion and to cause the parents pain and suffering. So he says, be careful because family problems were going to escalate in the end times as you go out. He says, then we could expect persecution from everyone and everything and anywhere. Notice he says in verse 22, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You will be. That's an inevitability. You will be hated. Why is it that the church tries to make itself palatable to an unbelieving culture? The church today has tried and tried and tried. For those who come into our, our fellowship and to the doors of our worship service, we've tried to make them comfortable. We, we don't want to mention sin or hardship or cost of discipleship. We, we, we just want to give them this self-help stuff. And, and we, we try to make it acceptable when, when all along it's inevitable. It doesn't matter what you try to do to, to get along Persecution is inevitable. It will, he says here, and you will be hated. You're not going to be liked. Wake up, church. We will be hated by all. That's not all in general, but it's all meaning that there's an inclusivity here in which all, primarily a lot of people, the majority of the people, will not love you, appreciate you, or like you. They will hate you. We have some graduates that are going off to school, and I guarantee you in the 
places that you're going in the harvest field that God has prepared for you, you're not going to be well received where you're going. There's a secularism today in our institutions that's just appalling. And it's harder and harder not only to live for Christ, but it's harder and harder to be a Christian today because it's not politically expedient to do so. Persecution from everyone, everywhere. And lastly, expect God's power to save. Notice he says in the last part, verse 22, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. There's an effort on our part in which we are seeking to endure. We're seeking to stand firm, to stand our ground, not to budge an inch and not to compromise, but to stand our ground and to stand firm on our convictions about who Jesus is and how he's called us to live. But notice that it will end. It won't go on for all eternity. It will end because I've read the last chapter of this book, and guess what? They lose in the end. Jesus wins. And Satan knows it, and it will soon come to an end. So no matter what hardship, what persecution, what difficulty, no matter how painful it may be, it won't last forever. Now, granted, you may lose your life, and the pain will be over. <laughs> I wonder how painful it is to lose your head for the, your faith. How long do you think they're in pain? Just like that. It won't last forever. And when the end comes, what's the promise? You'll be what? Saved. You'll be saved. And the unbeliever won't be saved. But we who endure to the end, who do not deny our faith in Christ and stand on our convictions, will endure to the end and we will be saved. I think it's interesting, and I think we have time to do this real quick. But in Acts chapter 6, just notice the first martyr. I'm going to read this very quickly. First martyr, Acts chapter 6, beginning with verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it is called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly, notice, they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have, learned, we have heard him say that his Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And God, through his miraculous provision, inspired and filled Peter with the Holy Spirit and began to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And after he got through as the messenger proclaiming this message, declaring that the Messiah was who he claimed to be, notice their reaction in Acts 7, verse 54. And now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. 
But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed, notice his, notice his attitude, his reaction. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. <laughs> and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or he died. The first martyr was Stephen. And there have been many, many since then, and there will be many, many more to come. Expect to be attacked. Lastly, I want us to notice that we must execute the right action. What action should we execute? Beginning with verse 23, he says that we must first flee to another harvest. When we're under attack, flee to another harvest. I know it sounds kind of odd for us to, to run, but run, run as fast as you can. You can't catch me. I'm a gingerbread man. Right? Run, flee. He says in verse 23, and when they persecute you in one town, what does he say? Flee to the next. We've already seen how Jesus has told them to go into the harvest field that he has prepared, and they're not knowing whether the harvest is ready and ripe, not for the picking. And so they go into a town, and he says, if you don't find anybody open there, then go to the next. Now he's saying, if you go into a town and, and as my messenger, proclaiming my message, pointing people to the Messiah, not only they're not receptive, but they are hostile toward your message. They persecute you and hurt you and abuse you and run where? Not run away because you're a coward, but run to another place in which I have prepared another harvest field where they are ready and the harvest is ripe for the picking. You see, there are some who cultivate the soil and there are some who plant the seed there are some who water that seed and it is the lord who gives the increase and there are a few who get to reap the harvest and so he's saying here when you're persecuted just recognize that's a closed door that's a closed opportunity that's not where i am at work move away from that person from those people, from that city, and go to where I am at work, and they are receptive, and they will receive the Messiah. Go to someone else. Have you ever had someone that's just totally deaf? Their hearts are hard. Their minds are closed. They are so seeking to justify their own self-righteousness or their own lack of a need for a savior or their own lifestyle because they know that they need to repent of their life. And they, they're just not, they're not with it, man. It's just don't waste your time sometimes. Now, granted, there are times I think we need to persevere because God does call some people to till the ground. And this Kansas dirt gets hard when it gets dry. Amen, Brother Denny? And uh, they're, they're, it's hard work tilling the soil. And then after you till the soil, you need to plant the seed. And there's some who are seed planters. And they never get to enjoy the harvest. And there's some who then water that seed and to allow it to germinate and grow. And there are a few of us who get the opportunity to harvest what God has prepared. And yet, when we go into a city, we need to be mindful and to be discerning enough to know unreceptive city. Jesus even encountered that. 
and he went to another city that was receptive of him and his message. Notice flee to another harvest. We must also focus on the main objective. What's the main objective? Are you ready for this? It's not to be a martyr. God didn't call us to martyrdom. He called us to discipleship. He called us to follow. And if following him leads to martyrdom, so be it. But you are not called to martyrdom. You are called to pay the price or the cost of discipleship. And that may include martyrdom, but we're not, we're not called to be martyrs. Notice what he says, For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man come, comes. What is the objective? What is the objective? The objective is to get the gospel out. That's the objective. Not to become a martyr, but to get the gospel out. And we're to go to, from town to town to town to town to get the gospel out. And we are to do so until what? The objective is to, to continue to being on commission, to getting the message out until Christ returns. For one of these days, the trumpet of God is going to blow and the dead in Christ will rise. And those of us who remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds and we will be forever with the Lord. Christ is going to return. And until that time, our objective is to take the gospel to a lost world that is in sin and is in desperate need of salvation. That's the objective. Notice he says, finally, we must follow the Lord's example in verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, how much more will they malign those of his household? Not only should a disciple, a follower of Jesus, who is a, a pupil of Christ, a follower of Jesus, expect to be persecuted, but expect the persecution to be cranked up against us even more so than they did against Jesus. He says there, how much more will they malign those? In other words, the persecution against us, it was bad enough, the persecution they gave to Jesus, but we should expect persecution against us, his representatives, to be cranked up a notch. It's coming. And when it comes, we must flee, we must focus, and we must follow the example of Jesus. So, as we close, here we go. As you go into the harvest field, you will face opposition. The question is, what will be your response? What will be your response? I have recently learned that you cannot stay neutral. You cannot. I've been your pastor almost eight years, eight years in August. I've tried to strip us of the political stigma that we have on Emmanuel Baptist Church. When I came, they thought we were a Republican church. And I interviewed with some liberal media out in the East Coast. I said, no, sir, we're not Republican. We're not Democrat. We're a Jesus church. We're a Jesus church. We're not against any certain individuals, any certain people. We are for the gospel. We are for Jesus. And I have tried to remain politically disconnected from those whom I call zealots who are just out there doing mayhem and, and bringing more shame, I think, to the cause of Christ than rather advancing the cause of the kingdom. But I am slowly being pushed into a corner. And I'm here to tell you, it may not be 
I may not be as quiet as I've been in the past. It's coming. Because we can't stay neutral forever. And I have alerted the, the uh, LBGT community in Wichita about our position against their position. And the emails have already come. And the attacks have already come. And you know how much I have tried for that not to happen. I think a lot of people have misunderstood my fun, spirited, laid-back, easygoing personality. But what's, those who know me best know that not only am I honest and not only am I convictional, you poke me long enough, I'll rise up and step, step on your head. Don't mistake my passivity for inactivity. Because I am a man and we are a church of convictions. And we will not compromise our convictions. And anybody that is in our house abides by our rules. You don't come to somebody else's house and say, my rules. No, our rules are what rules. And yesterday morning I was going to the men's breakfast and there was some music being played down there while we were having a basketball tournament being played. I made sure that music was turned off. And I said to him, house rules, this is a church, and we have convictions, and those convictions will not be compromised. There is a time. There is a time, and there's a place where it will happen, and it's coming. It's coming to you individually, and it's coming to us corporately. But it's coming. Be prepared. And the thing I like about it, I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico for quite some time, and I was the pastor there. You either were a Christian or you weren't. <laughs> Seriously. Santa Fe, they say, is the, uh, is the um, southwest capital of New Age and, and all kinds of stuff. And First Baptist Church, Santa Fe, uh, we, we stuck to the gospel and I learned that uh, while some redefined the gospel, those of us who were straight on with a biblical gospel message were very few and far between. But I learned that the few hundreds of us that were together, a couple of thousand, while we were few, we were strong because there were no marginal, lazy, apathetic, so-called Sunday once-a-month Christians. Either were or you weren't. And I'm excited about the persecution that's coming because it's going to weed out the dead and it'll bring alive those who are alive. Because someday you may suffer for your faith. And that's when I believe your faith will either be real or it's just been something you've casually talked about <laughs> that's not authentic. Are you prepared? And what will be your response? Young adults going to college, I know you think you're adults already. We all did at that age. Be prepared to be persecuted for your faith. For it's coming. Graduates, stand firm. 
follow Jesus. Rely upon his Holy Spirit. He will enable and equip and empower you to stand for him in a world that desperately needs light. Let's pray.